Well, as I have kind of mentioned, we are going to take a break uh, from the book of Matthew. Uh, we uh, spent about six months roughly in it, um, and we're going to take a break through the summer. We'll start it again in the fall, picking back up in chapter 10. Uh, but I want to look at an Ezekiel text uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel 36, 24 through 32. If you want to turn there in uh, your Bibles, um, otherwise I will be uh, putting it up on the screens. But we're going to look at the restoration of God's people through the power of God. Now, I wonder, have you ever received something you didn't deserve? Yeah? I, I, you know, maybe when you were in high school and you did that group project and there were five of you and you didn't really pull your weight, but you got an A anyways. I was the only one that did that maybe. <laughs> what about, um, you know, maybe at work, you know, adults, you have a group project and you don't pull your weight, right? That, that's maybe happened. <laughs> You, you think of gifts, uh, maybe you've been given something, something you didn't deserve. And I, I was watching a documentary this week on uh, what's going on in the south side of Chicago and just the chaos that that, that is uh, currently. Um, and, and during this documentary, I learned about a ministry that, that helps former gang members and felons get a second chance, get something that they really don't deserve. At least from their opinion, I heard them saying that over and over and over again. Wow, I'm getting the second chance. I feel like I don't deserve it. But, but in this documentary, I, I saw story after story of this ministry that works out of a church, and they did two things. Two things. They uh, dealt with the spiritual person, what was going on there spiritually, and then there was an educational aspect where they were getting these folks uh, educated, uh, getting them their GEDs, giving them some training and a vocation, and what they were doing is they were dealing with the spiritual and educational. They were empowering them to have a second chance. And these, these, these men were so, it was all predominantly men, were, were so grateful of getting that second shot in life even after they had committed crimes and became felons. And it was a beautiful story after beautiful story. I bring that up because in our text today, we are going to look at God giving his people a second chance. God giving his people a second chance even though they messed everything up and messed it up really quite badly as they will see turn to the nations around them and they've worshipped other gods and have sinned against God. We're going to look at that a little bit. But they messed things up. Yeah, we're going to see that God, uh, had he's rescued Israel. If you go back to your Old Testament, read your Old Testament Bible. He rescued Israel. He brought them out of the promised land. And he did that with a purpose to make them a renewed humanity to live in the promised land, to image and showcase the glory of God to the nations around them them. However, if you've read your Old Testament, you know that's not the story. That's not what happens. Israel sins and rejects their call that God has given them, and they begin to turn to other gods and other detestable practices. In fact, you see throughout Scripture, the people of God, they continuously turn from God over to fake gods 
over and over and over again as God continues to warn them and tries to call them back to himself, to the one true God. All while warning them that if they do not repent, they will lose the land that God has given them and be taken into exile. This is where the prophet of Ezekiel steps in, is in this moment. Ezekiel writes, God speaks to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel writes to a people, he's a priest and a prophet, as the people are being taken into exile, and everything is falling apart because of their sin and rebellion against God. Yet, we're going to see, though, Ezekiel's going to be honest about the realities. There's also a message of hope found within the book of Ezekiel. That God is going to act, and he's going to do it for his own glory to show the world that his people will indeed be a holy nation made in the image of God. God will act in his own power to restore his people for his fame and his glory. Doing this... so that his people can receive the greatest reward, even though they don't deserve it. So we're going to look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 6, or sorry, chapter 36, starting in verse 24, and it says this. It says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Amen. Amen. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call you call for the grain and make it plentiful and you will not bring and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourself for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. Let's pray. Father God, help us to, to understand uh, this text, God, to understand um, what is going on here, what, what Ezekiel is speaking to the people of Israel through the power of God. God, help us to, to grasp this and apply it to our lives. God, and help us to leave changed and different because we've heard from you. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see is this, is God is going to restore people through his power. Through his power. So in the midst of Israel's downfall due to their sin and rebellion, God gives them a prophecy of hope. Right? He says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. Now, you're going to notice here in this text, who is doing the acting? Who are all the verbs applied to? God. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's God. God alone is acting. He's doing everything. God will act on their behalf and do what they could not do. 
God is going to gather his people back after they've been scattered due to, due to their idolatry, sin, and rebellion. God will restore them himself in his power and fulfill his promise to them through his actions alone. For Israel, God's people, have failed to follow them in their own power. God tells his people, he says, this is how I'm going to do it. And he uses some very strong metaphors. First in verse 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all of your idols. This metaphor mixes both the priestly cleansing rituals of the Old Testament and the blood sprinkling ceremonies into kind of one sentence. And all of these things, these metaphors have to do with the, the cleansing or purifying of Israel from their sin. They had different things they were supposed to do in the Old Testament to, to outwardly cleanse themselves from their sin. Here God is taking that imagery further and he says, it's not going to be your actions, Israel, that's going to cleanse you, but my actions. We will see throughout the text, God alone is acting. He is the one that's going to do all these things. And he says, Israel, God's people, I am going to cleanse you from all your sin and idolatry and wickedness. I will cleanse you from your impurities. I will do it. In verse 26, God is going to go even further and he's going to say, not only am I going to cleanse you, remove your sin, make you clean, make your impurities go away, but I am going to address the very issue that causes you to live an impure life, your, your source of sin. He says this in verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God says, I'm not just going to cleanse you and clean you up. I'm going to deal with your main issue. I'm going to cleanse you from your sin, but I'm also going to address your heart problem. You have a dead, stony heart that doesn't work. Now, I have a, a stone that is about the size of a heart, and I'm going to embarrass Matthew because that's good. Matthew, now, if I were to rip out your heart, we did heart surgery, and we put that in there to replace your heart, would that work? What would happen? You would die. Yeah, you would be, if I'm doing surgery on you, good luck. You're, you're not going to make it, right? But this is the imagery that Ezekiel the prophet is using. He says you have a stone dead heart. If this is inside of you, good luck, right? It's not going to pump the blood throughout your body. Now, Ezekiel is not talking about being physically alive. He's not talking about being physically alive, physical hearts. He's talking about the spiritual. He's talking about the spiritual problem of Israel and the spiritual problem of humanity. They were spiritually dead. Their hearts were dead to the things of God. They couldn't live for God because they had spiritual hearts of stone that were so affected by the fall and sin all they did was turn to idols over and over and over again and fall into sin. As John Calvin says, he says this, every one of us, even from our mother's womb, is a master craftsman of idols. Theologians call it the doctrine of, of total depravity, being spiritually dead. Because of the fall, every human being is born with this stone-dead heart that doesn't beat for the things of God. 
but is rather, Scripture says, in full rebellion to God. Because of the fall, the natural state of man is to hate God, to be in rebellion against God, unless God intervenes. So what does God do? Well, the the text tells us he's going to intervene. He's going to remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He's going to put a new spirit in us. He's going to give us a spiritual heart transplant. I'm going to reach in, God says, take that heart out and put in one that works, that's spiritually alive. That cold, dead, stony heart I will remove from you and give you one that beats for me. How does God do this? Well, he does this through a theological idea of what's called regeneration. Regeneration. And here is the best way I can, uh, I can explain this to you. Now, you have heard the phrase, uh, God helps those who help themselves. That's dumb. That's a dumb phrase. Think, think about it this way. God helps those who help themselves. Is this idea of you're kind of in a pool and you're kind of drowning and struggling and someone throws you a life preserver and you kind of swim over and grab it? That's not what salvation looks like in Scripture. You've drowned and you're in the bottom of the pool and you're dead. And Jesus dives in, pulls you out, resuscitates you, and brings you back to life. Regeneration is the renewal of the Spirit. It's receiving a new heart through the power of God, through faith in Jesus and what he's done on the cross. You become a new humanity in that moment. God brings us back to life, Ezekiel says, so that we can have relationship with him that's through obedience to him. God says this in verse 27. He says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God says, I'm giving you a new spirit, a new heart, and it's going to move you in the direction of obedience to me. You're going to be a renewed person, a renewed human who obeys God, who's obedient to God. You're not going to be perfect. Not on this side of heaven. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to still make mistakes. But your life's going to look different. Your your countenance, what you want to do, your desires, you're going to desire to obey God and be obedient to him. God says, I'm just not going to do that for you, but I'm going to do even more for you because I love you. God says, I'm also going to give you a restored promised land. I'm going to make a restored people, and I'm going to give them a restored promised land. Israel's stone-dead hearts had led to idolatry and rebellion against God from the moment they were taken out of Egypt. But if you read the Old Testament story, God's like rescued them with like plagues. He split the Red Sea. They're like on the other side and they're like, this stinks. We had better food in Egypt. We want to go back, right? You, immediately they start grumbling in the wilderness. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. What do they do? Do they wait patiently there? No, they're like immediately making an idol. And Moses comes down, he's like, oh my gosh, what, like, what are you doing? God's like, hey, your people, they're down there, they're making an idol. As soon as God gives them the promised land, does everything go well? No. They're like following all these other gods. They're, every god you can think of, they're setting up places to worship them. I mean, it's just a mess. If you look at the history books in the Old Testament of Judges, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, it's basically just a constant spiral away from God. All while God is warning them what's going to happen if they continue to rebel against him. 
They're going to be taken out of their land. They're going to be handed over to the other nations of the false gods they worship. God acts to restore and redeem his people through giving them new hearts and a new spirit so that they can be in a permanent relationship with God because he's done it so that they can inherit a new promised land that God has given to them. He says this in verse 28. Then, after I've done all that for you, I've fixed all your problems. I've redeemed you. I've restored you. I've made you into a renewed humanity. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. Do you hear the intimacy in that? You will be my people, and I will be your God. There's this renewed emphasis on the land that God is going to give his people. It's going to be even better than it was before. He says in verse 29 and 30, I will save you from all your uncleanness. Then I will call, from the, call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so you will no longer suffer disgrace amongst the nations because of famine. As God's people, Israel, rebelled against God, the land bore curses. We see this all the way back in Genesis 3. God promised that our sin would lead to an unproductive, cursed land that was affected by sin and rebellion. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 says this. This is God speaking. And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your lives. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God had promised humanity way back as as we rebelled against him, the land would produce less, would, would be unproductive, would lead to famine and death. And God warned Israel. We see this in Israel's history. The famines hit the land due to their idolatry. And it weakened the nation, split the nation, and then led to their downfall as they lost battle after battle against the nations around them. You can read the stories of Elijah and Elisha, for example. But here God tells his people, not only am I going to restore you, but I'm going to act and bring you back to a renewed, restored land. God, he says, I'm going to go further. The land that I give you, I'm going to undo the effects of the curse. This is the language of undoing the effects of the curse that have so severely affected you. Paul says this in Romans 8.20 about this. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, we've seen in this prophecy, I think partially a foreshadowing of it being fulfilled during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra the priests, where they were brought back into the land. But that was not a full restoration of the land. Things were still messed up. Sin still exists. The land still was subjected to futility. This happens later on at the return of Jesus, the Messiah, where we will receive a new heavens and a new earth. Thirdly is this. God's doing this, the restoration of his people, giving them a restored land, because it leads us to true repentance. 
it leads us to true, true repentance. When we receive new hearts and new spirits, looking forward to that future of God in the new land, God's vindication, he's vindicated and brings us to true repentance. We are redeemed and given new hearts that beat for God. Our sinful, idolatrous lives, they become clear to us. God tells us in verse 31, he says, when I do this, he says, then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourself for your sins and detestable practices. When we are regenerated through faith and the work of the Spirit, we see who we are. We see our sin and our idols. We see our detestable practices. And at the same time, we begin to see how wonderful and perfect and beautiful God is. When this happens, we are cut to the heart and we will loathe our wicked ways. This is the first sign of true repentance and regeneration by God. If you're in Christ, maybe just think, do you remember that moment when you came to Jesus by faith and you realized how sinful you were? I do. I'll remember that moment for the rest of my life. God, how he worked in my life despite me not deserving it. Finally, God tells us why he's doing all this in verse 32. He says, I want you to know that I'm not doing it for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. The primary reason that God is redeeming and restoring a people for himself is for his glory. It's for his glory. Through Israel's idolatry and rebellion, they had made God a laughingstock among the nations, a, a der- name of derision. Israel was to be a light to the nations that made God look good, but instead they made him look bad by their sin, maligning the name of God. God's holy name had been mocked. The perfect, holy, wonderful, just, loving creator of the universe the creator and sustainer of all things had been made a laughingstock by his people. And God says, I'm going to restore you and redeem you in all my power alone. And the main reason is for my name's sake. So what do we get from this, from, from this church? This, this, as a church, this Old Testament text. What, what, how do we apply this to our lives? I think, well, number one, we need to take away this. We are totally depraved apart from God's work in us. That's the reality from Scripture. This, this idea of total depravity. Because of the fall, we have been marred by sin in more ways than we can even imagine. God tells us we have these hearts of stone that don't beat for him, that are spiritually dead. We're natural idolaters, like John Calvin says. At another point, he even says our hearts are like, apart from God, are like little idol factories pumping out idolatry. Now, you may say to yourself, I've never worshipped an idol of wood or stone or precious metal. I never worshipped the god Baal or Ashtoreth or Moloch. And that's maybe true, but as America becomes less and less Christian, can you guys guess the two fastest growing religions in America? What was that? Islam. Islam, Islam's up there, yep, it's growing quickly, yep. Anyone else? Scientology is up there. It's paganism and witchcraft. As we drift away, those stone dead hearts, guess what? We're going, humanity's going back to their old ways. 
And, and we, I mean, as we do worship other idols. An idol, right, is anything you put in the place of God. We can, you can make an idol out of just about anything. You see this all the time. People worship things like money. You worship vocation. Your status in the community. Your family. Good looks. I mean, right, that's, that's a struggle for me. <laughs> Comfort. One of the biggest things I see people worship in this nation is ease of life. How can I make life as easy as possible? We're talking in our Sunday school group. Why do we have so much abortion? Abortion Because of ease of life. I don't want to have to deal with the baby. That's too much work. Ease of life, we worship that. Political parties. Look at the nation around us. They're worshiping everything else but God. Just as Israel needed a miraculous work of God in their lives, God entered into their lives through regeneration, giving a new heart and a new spirit. We are no different from the people uh, during Ezekiel's time when he was writing. We also, apart from God, have stone dead hearts. We need God to enter into our lives through the work of regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus to bring us alive again. Secondly, what we can take away is this God alone acts in the power of bringing about a renewed humanity. It's all God. God does it out of love for us and care and compassion as humanity. He loves us. And as God was speaking to Israel, he was speaking about future events that were to take place. The Old Testament people that got this that heard this, they never got to experience it. It did not happen. They were getting a shadow and a glimpse of it. What God had spoke about to Ezekiel happens in Jesus. The Messiah and the sending of the, of the Spirit of God at Pentecost. Ezekiel foreshadows the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. When he's talking about the, the cleansing of us, he's talking about the cleansing blood of Jesus. When he's talking about making us a renewed humanity, he's talking about Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection, and by faith, becoming a new person through Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are renewed. You receive that heart. You receive the Spirit of God. You are cleansed from all your, your sin. You become a renewed person, empowered to live as God commands. You're not going to be perfect, but you are radically different. It leads to real repentance. When we are transformed by God's act of regeneration through faith in Christ, we become new creatures with new hearts. We are given the Spirit of God, and we therefore have new loves and new values. We begin to hate sin, and we begin to love the things of God. For us as Christians, this is what repentance is. We have a new ability to see sin for what it is. The veil of sin is lifted also so we can see how beautiful and valuable God is. When we receive a new heart through the new Spirit, in Christ it leads to this repentance. Our heart's broken, it's fixed by God, and we begin to love our Creator. Now, some of you know a little bit about my story, but this was my experience. I came to faith at 17 years old. And the first 17 years of my life, I was a wicked, wretched sinner. I looked good on the outside. I was respectable, and I looked nice, and I went to church, and I smiled, and I, and I went through all the motions. But what was in my mind and in my heart was wicked and utterly depraved. 
When I came to faith through the preaching of the word, which is how we come to faith, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember sitting at my pastor's just crying, just tears rolling down my face because I realized how sinful I was, yet what God had given me, that I received a new heart, a new spirit that brought me to true repentance. Thirdly and lastly is this. God creates a renewed creation for his glory. He's making all things new. He's recreating us as humanity. He's recreating and cleansing the earth from the effects of sin and the fall. God is truly making all things new through his power for his glory and his honor, and he fully deserves it. One of the beautiful aspects of the gospel is that God desires us to share in that with him to participate, to join him, to spend an eternity with him as renewed people in relationship with him. God chooses to love us and share that with us. Now, as I wrap up today, I want to say this. Do you feel God pulling at your heart this morning? Do you feel him and tugging the move of the spirit in your heart? If you do, that is God at work through the spirit and the preaching of the word. He wants to make you a new creature, a new creation, able to live for him, renewed. Bow your knee to that. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust what he has done. And all these promises that Ezekiel has been talking about, every single one of them will be yours. Something that can never be taken away. They are a gift from God through his own power. They will be yours. You will be a new person made to spend an eternity with God in the new creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we don't deserve any of this. That's the, the beauty of grace. We don't deserve any of this. We do have stone-dead hearts. We're sinful from our mother's womb. We've rebelled against you. We've sinned against you every day of our lives. God, yet you love us. God, you just didn't just give us an, an opportunity that we had to work and earn a relationship with you we could never earn in our own power. You did everything. You made the way. You sent Jesus to die on the cross. You washed us clean. You paid the penalty for our sin. You gave us a new spirit and a new heart through the work of regeneration by faith in Jesus so we can live for you. You are making all things new. You are making us a renewed humanity to live in your kingdom, in the renewed heavens, in the renewed earth, where we will be your people and you will be our God, forever and ever. God, you love us so much, and we are so thankful for that love and grace you show us. Thank you, and we pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.